0: oh, 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 oh,
1: oh, 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 oh Oh, 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 oh Hello, and welcome to 30 Years Later. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chafin. Uh, It's just me tonight because um, Ricky doesn't know that I'm doing this. No, uh, of course, I'm only doing it on Ricky's orders. He told me to do it. So So he told me to do it. That means you have to listen to it. Um... What you're going to hear in just a second is a recording of a live show we did just this past Sunday at Nighthawk Williamsburg for the 30th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Um, a movie I had seen a million times. We made a bunch of great jokes about it in the introduction, which uh, wasn't recorded, so you'll just have to imagine them. They were things like um, Ricky said, welcome to our celebration of the life and legacy of Joss Whedon. I said, yes, by being here, you're all consenting to the fact that you think Joss Whedon fucking rules. Those were great. And like I said, just just imagine even more of them. Um, This is, of course, because there's been many uh, accusations that Joss Whedon has been an abusive person in the workplace from basically every female lead he's ever worked with, from Sarah Michelle Gellar to Gal Gadot and like literally everyone in between. Um, so th- um, for this episode, our guest was the fantastic Merritt Kay, who is an editor at this great video game website called FanBite. Uh, I have written for Fanbyte before. It's, it's a great publication. Um, Merritt writes a lot about Destiny, which he seems to like spend a lot of time playing. Um, I was also obsessed with that, uh, video game, but uh, I'm like, thankfully was able to like kick the habit a little bit because I had this stretch where I was unemployed and playing Destiny, like... Like so many hours a day, and I knew what schedules the different events were happening, uh, and it was it wasn't it wasn't a great place for me. Um, but so, <laughs> Merit very graciously uh, came to the show, and it was great to meet her in person. And I think we all had a really great time. So I should also say a big thank you to Christina Capiocho, who is a past guest on this show and is a programmer at Nighthawk, and is the reason we get to do these great events there. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Nighthawk personally. Uh, it's this great theater here in New York City where you know they serve food and that kind of of. stuff. But it 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 honestly like Nighthawk invented that kind of thing. Anyway, um we like I said we had a great time. Uh you're gonna hear the trailer for the movie and then after that our live discussion at Nighthawk Williamsburg. Uh we'll be back in two weeks with a new movie and before then we should be uh posting a new episode to our Patreon. Theoretically it's gonna be about uh the Doom generation or maybe like all of Gregoraki's movies but we haven't recorded it yet we'll figure it out later uh this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer I just met this girl named Buffy I'm Pike
2: Pike isn't a name it's a fish
1: I liked her even though she seemed kind of
2: flaky but as it turns out you have been chosen Buffy to do what
0: to stop the vampires
2: does Elvis talk to you
0: and things started getting weird around here are we having a nightmare You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. She was the one person I could really count on.
2: Kill him a lot. Hi. Hi. What are you doing here? What am I doing
0: here? I'm saving your butt. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. How's it going? You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Stab him in the heart. Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Uh, uh, Paul Rubens. Uh, with Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls.
1: Oh! Uh, yes, I am.
0: Buffy. The Vampire Slayer.
1: You didn't even break a nail. Directed by Fran Rubel-Kazooie.
0: Thanks for sticking around. Uh, we have a podcast that's called 30 Years Later. This is Chris Chafin. Say hello, Chris. Hi,
1: everybody. Hello. Thank you for coming. Thanks for sticking around. Um, and, and this th- is Ricky Camilleri. He's my co-host. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: this is Marich. He's our guest today to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992, right? Yes. Yes. Um. So we host the podcast, it's called Thirty Years Later, every Week
1: or so, or whenever we sort of get it together. It's every two weeks, it's it's like clockwork. Every two weeks, <laughs> not
0: really. It's like whenever I it's get it together.
1: <laughs> literally every two weeks, but yeah. Uh,
0: and we talk about a movie that came out 30 years ago, give or take that week, maybe around that period of time. And um, Buffy is for me a strange movie uh, because, like the last movie we did, Damon Wayne's No Mo Money Mo Pro, or just Mo Money. I for some reason had like a VHS copy of of that and this at the age of like six years old. <laughs> <laughs> while most kids I think from like six- Inside to- you
1: there are two wolves, like yeah. Mo Money and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, yeah.
0: I think while most kids from six to 10 watched like, you know, nice movies, or mo- I was like new Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Mo Money by heart. Both of which, in watching as an adult, like, don't hold up, but I have, like, muscle memory for them, <laughs> and so they kick in, and I know every song by heart, and, like, the scene where she's talking to Merrick about him making a joke when we were watching the movie the other night, I was sitting there being like, you made a joke. That's a- <laughs> oh, it's cute. It's the first time. I, was, I know what it the hurts fuck? For the first Why time. Why do I know all these lines?
1: Um, it's interesting, too, because in the run-up to doing this, you claim to have no memory of or affection for this movie at all. And then I started
0: watching it, and I was like, I've seen this thousands of times. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, what is your relationship with with this movie? Uh, this is the first time I've seen this movie, this is the second time I've ever seen it,
2: and the first time in like probably 15 or 20 years. Um, I I saw the TV show growing up, um, well actually when I was like in high school and college, so like a little later, I think I I started watching it after it had ended, um, and sort of binged the whole thing and very important to me in like my freshman year of college. <laughs> like, many such cases. Um, and then this movie I hadn't seen until, yeah, about 15 years ago, and um, just not memorable. Actually, when I, 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 until I looked it up for this, I was like, oh, Joss Whedon didn't do that, right? This was just some weird movie that he was like, what if I did a TV show of that? <laughs> Uh, and then I was like dis- kind of dismayed to find out that no he, it was him all along this was always like, always has been um, this was like the one idea that he's he always had. been there yeah but, but they took it away from him and um and we, we were talking during the movie sorry
0: if you could hear yeah, us um, but you can sort of see the distinct point when they really took the movie away from him in the script because apparently uh, it's Merrick, like the third act
1: basically yeah Merrick
0: kills himself in Whedon's original script he gets turned into a vampire and he kills himself before he can fully change and then Buffy blows up the gym I'm not necess- I'm not sure if she goes like full Heathers yeah, I had a memory of that or... I thought that
2: happened and I think maybe I was confused because there's a flashback In the show to her burning down the or or they talk about it, and I was like, Oh, that's what happened that's how this movie ends. I was expecting Lothos to get up again after he just like pulls his cape over his face. And it's like, No,
1: that's that's it. He's done. (laughs) That was by the way, an amazing death that he got the pull. He just pulled his cape over his face very gently and (laughs) I mean but yeah no it is funny the way Joss Whedon treats the movie because obviously Buffy the show was so successful went on for such a long time but he just kind of the movie is like a prequel to the show but he just has the things happen in the prequel that he wishes would have been in the movie so yeah they in the first episode they're like oh I burned down the gym in my old school which is like not at all what happens in the movie.
0: Well, I think you can see where things really go off the rails with with the studio's version of the script when um, Lothos comes out and meets Buffy for the first time, is told that Buffy is the Slayer, and then subsequently there is a scene where David Arquette learns that Buffy is the Slayer as well, and everyone's going, Buffy is the Slayer? <laughs> she's been unmasked! <laughs> she's been unmasked, but like two scenes before, like <laughs> Donald Southern was like, hey, she's the Slayer, she's just not ready yet, but she's the Slayer! <laughs> and, there, and and
1: then the Americans like or the uh, Lothus is like she's the slayer but she's not ready yet I'll come back later yeah
2: I will say one thing in this movie's favor I now want to go online and see if there's any David Arquette Luke Perry slash fiction <laughs> because that scene in the beginning <laughs> I'm just like hmm,
0: inter- I want that movie <laughs> oh where David Arquette talks about getting so drunk he yeah. has sex with Luke Perry <laughs> I wanted to I mean it was whenever I watched Luke Perry or any of the sort of like heartthrob stars of Nine Hundred Two and 90210 or party of five in the 90s even like nev campbell in in scream i always want to write some sort of essay about the evolution of uh, like uh prime time soap opera actors because they all have a very specific way of acting in the 90s like very soap opera they're still like soap opera actors yeah but they're like they think that they have to do like a lot of like weird pauses and like head things all the time (laughs) there's also
2: the thing of like 90s styles being like so long ago now and also just people not wearing sunscreen even in the 90s were like they look much older.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, like yeah. Luke oh Perry, But I mean, I don't know how old he was. I think he's this, like thirty-five, but... like legitimately, in this he's movie. He looks okay. like a
0: tiny thirty-year-old man. Yeah. That's Ricky, <laughs> every time he
1: Luke Perry comes on screen, Ricky's like one hundred and ten pounds. This fucking guy, one hundred and ten pounds. They put him <laughs> in that huge leather jacket at the
2: end,
0: and it just makes him look tinier. <laughs> yeah. Do you think when he got that leather jacket, he was like, "Come on,
1: guys, I'm gonna look. <laughs> this is insane." And he's like walking around set, going like, "Look at this fucking thing. Look at me."
0: <laughs> um. In terms of this, like t- taking place 30 years ago, there is this period of time in 90s movies, and I think it probably uh, culminates in Clueless, where they actually finally get it done well. Because Clueless is, you know, I think when you go back as an adult and watch Clueless, it stands the test of time. But this idea of taking what adult men thought was 90s teen talk and turn it into like really great lines. Like there are some great lines in this movie that are just sort of like a stylization of how an adult male comedy writer assumes young women talk. Like, you know, like.
1: What a homeless. (laughs) What a homeless. (laughs) Uh, Get out of my facial.
0: What's your sitch? Like all of those. It's like someone's like, look, okay, so Valley girls talk like this, but I have to make it somehow make it
1: interesting. Joss is like, these girls at the mall, you won't believe how they talk to each other. It's completely fucking crazy. <laughs>
0: I went up and talked to a group of teenage women at the mall. And, and they, they said, what a homeless strange. to me. <laughs> very
1: strange. I oh. invited them to a graveyard, none of them came. <laughs>
0: That was the other thing is that apparently Whedon's big problem was Donald Sutherland and Sutherland was improvising or dude, had his own take on the character. And I feel like Sutherland's take on the character was probably right. Like Sutherland <laughs> yes. kept being like, no, I'm in a women's locker, a girl's locker room. I have to be kind of weird. <laughs> and Josh Whedon was like, no, you don't understand. You're the head slayer. And he was like, but I'm in a teen <laughs> girl's locker room. I have to like go like this. <laughs> for no fucking reason in the middle of the scene. Oh Um, my God. Yeah, that was sort of what, I was focused on Donald Sutherland consistently. I thought he was good. I thought he's great in the movie. He's really fun. He's
2: just like real weird, like totally out of place. (laughs)
1: And this is supposedly like the reason that Joss Whedon walked off the movie was like, he didn't feel his dialogue was being respected enough. And all the producers of the movie are like, do you understand that Donald Sutherland is in our movie? Uh, (laughs) Like, did you see JFK? Like he's in this movie that (laughs) we're making.
2: He's doing a like body snatchers thing here. Here, just except just like turned up to eleven, just walking around like a weirdo and like seven
1: <laughs> layers. Right, and,
2: like,
0: like even in training, he's in the same outfit. Like she's
1: yeah. training. Also, what is that?
0: How, what is that building
2: that they're training in? I know. Where is
1: that? Like what location? In is the nineties, if you had no of source it, of income, yeah. you could just live in like an entire floor of a hotel. That's and true. And It was fine. Yeah. yeah, I think
0: we're just supposed to assume. Yeah, that's where Merritt crashes, and yeah. he's been crashing there for like fourteen hundred years. Or yeah, something yeah. Like yeah. That,
2: right? <laughs> yeah he, Apparently, he dies and is reborn. I thought he was just a robot, but no, he's slayer he dies and then he comes back as a baby who's like gotta train that slayer (laughs) mom
0: get out of my way I gotta go at what point he's
1: got (laughs) he's got terrible grades in school he's like what does this have to do with training a slayer (laughs) Yeah.
0: at what point in his in growing up does it occur to him that he has to train the slayer yeah so okay the seriousness
2: thing though I wanted to bring that up because um, one thing that I noticed in this movie that I really like is that uh, the main character is like kind of a total like dumbass for most of it, which like is Buffy. great. Yeah, yeah Buffy's yeah. great because like I, I think this is a Joss Whedon like driven problem in Hollywood now. Where like every action movie where there's like a female lead or like side character, she's always like hyper competent like action girl. Like that's the role of like every Marvel character, like every like you know other like action like the Gray Man has a character like that. And um oh, you saw that? Yeah, I haven't so seen I that yet. I edited a review <laughs> of it. Uh, so. <laughs> I got it secondhand, Um, but we don't let like female leads be dumbasses anymore, and I think that's really a problem. Like actually, this this, like action girl, like strong female character thing that Joss Whedon really just was like drove into the ground throughout the nineties and 2000s. Like that's great, but also like it means that you're like have this really narrow mold Like you have to be what, so
1: competent. You yeah, can't just like, be like a regular and fuck it, it's up. It's not
2: and fun. Like just like, yeah, like and you have this character evolution in this movie that is like kind of fun and interesting and like the character retains some of that charm by the end, which is, is cool, I think. And Joss Whedon's like, no, they are not taking the mythos
0: seriously <laughs> enough. No, this will not do. I mean, I guess Buffy in the show is probably trained. I've never actually seen the show, but like Buffy in the show is actually trained by the end of the first episode. So for the entirety I mean, of the has series, some she's of the like, She has competent. some of the
2: back and forth of, I want to be normal and blah, 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 but right. it's a, like a lot more 90s angsty. It's <laughs> a very uncharitable
1: kind of impression of Buffy. I really don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's like learning on the job and that kind of stuff. I mean, what, it, that's a really good point, Merit. And I think what's really funny, too, is like, I think Joss Whedon is trying to do that, like, hyper competent, like he's trying to have Buffy be that, but it's not quite, it's more of a journey. And it's so much more satisfying when it's that, when it's a journey, rather than having her like, right, be like Black Widow from like the first time you ever see her. She is the baddest assassin in the entire world. We don't really
0: get the training montage in movies anymore, right? Where someone gets plucked out and then suddenly has
1: to become the badass. I mean, they do. I guess like the, spy, like the recent Spider-Man movies have some of that. Like Didn't there's always <laughs> such a fucking douche. <laughs> Didn't see it. I know. I know. That's why you're a douche. Not <laughs> Did anyone else
0: notice that in um, Christy Swanson or Buffy's home, she had two microwaves on top of each other? (laughs) Yes. The family had a double microwave sitch.
1: And is it like a Jeff Foxworthy, like if you have a working microwave on top of a non-working microwave? Or do they have some kind of like double oven microwave situation? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Is that it? Oh, my God. So is that still common? Do people still... Wow! I know. I had no idea. Wow! So Buffy's supposed to be Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, like well off, but yeah, like usually... Wait, did you say Jewish or well off? Is... No Jewish. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, like... Right. Sure. Like milk and yeah. m- meat. Right. Yeah. Oh,
0: that answers that question. Thank you. I just thought it was like a screw up in the art department and they had to
1: get going. They're just like, it's like the 90s. Like they're so rich. They have two microwaves. Um, a couple, I, have some, I just have a few questions written down, but the hot dog
0: scene, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> She picked up a butter knife and then sliced up the hot dog, and everybody and Luke Perry almost threw up. Right? And then the scene the ends, which is sort <laughs> of
2: a running theme. In the <laughs> a smoothie. lot of, them. and then the scene ends. You kept just doing that, that in the script.
0: Scenes <laughs> kept ending, and you kept being like, "That's it." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, then my favorite one of those is when um, David Arquette is floating outside of Luke Perry's window, and they finally seem to have established like Luke Perry figures out something weird is going on, and then they just and cut to a the different scene. scene.
2: Ends. Yeah, John's <laughs> just writing down furiously, "Scene end now." Next thing, next thing. It's
1: like I say, it's yeah. like it's like when you have a comedy sketch and you just they, they don't just have an don't out, end, yeah. You know, right? Who needs scene transitions? I mean, there's one really
2: good cut, like the very first cut in the movie with the steak to the oh yeah pom pom.
0: Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I was like oh, this is maybe this movie's gonna be a better shot than it. No, 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 no. But that one was good. <laughs> I like My favorite part of the scene with David kept floating is that at the top of the scene, when he's first knocking on the window, he keeps looking over his shoulder like someone p- could potentially
1: see him floating. But within seconds of the scene, he's suddenly floating and dancing, and, like does not give a shit if anyone sees him. Well, that's the character's journey, Ricky. I think you're seeing him really like come to accept himself as a vampire. I do like the idea, too, that this because you're he's operating on this kind of like vampire blood hunger level and that he's just turned into a vampire, he's just woken up, and he's like, oh, I need to fucking drink someone's blood and kill them. Like, oh, like my buddy would probably be cool with that. Like, I should just go over. (laughs) Uh, He's cool. We're buds. Like, we can just go over. Okay, we just got the five minute warning, Ricky. We should like, do the questions real quick.
0: Oh yeah, the questions, but also real fast, cameos. If anyone noticed a bunch of cameos. Oh my God, amazing. We've, Ben, ben Affleck, Affleck is oh in my, it. That was actually him? Ricky yeah. Lake. Oh my God. Ricky Lake. And I Lake. mean, this is a cameo that I feel like barely anyone would notice, but Thomas Jane is the <laughs> fellow, <laughs> the fellow mechanic.
1: <laughs> Apparently this was going to be part of the movie, like as originally conceived. They wanted to have like Mick Jagger and David Bowie be vampires in the movie, but it, the movie has a $6 million budget. So guess what? That did not happen. <laughs>
0: They were like, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so at the end of our podcast, we ask uh, three questions of uh, of ourselves and of our guests. And um, what's the first question? It's just, it's real simple. What was your favorite part? Yeah, what was your favorite part of the movie? The match cut at the top of the movie? That match cut was really good. I do, I just... Like, I just
2: wanted more David Arquette the whole time. He's great. I was like, that scene at the end when he's like, ah, come on, we'll start a vampire band. It'll be cool. I'm just like, (laughs) just give me that movie.
1: It's it's called Only Lovers Left Alive. It's a great movie. (laughs) I would highly recommend it.
0: Um, my favorite part of the movie is, I, I mean, I, I genuinely like the scene with Donald Sutherland where he tells a joke and she gets all soft. It's cute
1: it. actually, right? Like you genuinely see them connecting as but characters.
0: I, I had a moment with it, with the movie this time where well, I've never noticed this before, mostly because I think when I used to watch all the time, I was a child but as an adult now, there is a sort of there's a scene where Buffy gets on a motorcycle and she's verbally assaulted by the bikers, but in a very specific way. And at the same time, her her wardrobe is changing in the movie, and I was kind of like, what? I got sort of taken aback and was like, this movie feels conscious of something that I don't feel like I want it to be conscious <laughs> yeah, right. of at this point. that thought
2: when the biker says you're a dyke, I'll tell the world.
0: Yes! (laughs) But at the same time, like, Buffy has had this, like, transition. She's grunge now. She's, like, grunge now, yeah. And I just thought that that was, like, Weird that they would insert that while at the same time for the two wardrobe, acceptable aesthetics. I think <laughs> that was yeah. Purple so, yeah, yeah, Lycra like, like, and, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, like our flannel shirt. Uh, Chris, what's your favorite part? I mean, this is and really. Also, to be
0: clear, the biker part is not my favorite part. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what just happened. Is what you said. I was just trying to find an area to talk about it again.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, my favorite part is just when um, it's in the scene where uh, Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland is in the women's locker room, and he goes, like Columbo, he goes, oh, actually, just one more thing. And he throws a dagger at her head, <laughs> and she catches it, and he goes, great. <laughs> Which is just the way that he plays that tiny clap. <laughs> so so beautiful to watch. And you got angry about this man's performance in the movie. like oh, so Joss Whedon, not yes. you. Joss Whedon. Don't right? look
0: at me and just imply <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joss no, Whedon. He's great.
1: He's great. He's fantastic. Um,
0: the second question we ask is... Um, is what was the most nineties thing about this movie? Because, you know, we came up with this podcast a few years ago, called it 30 years later, and completely forgot that it was the year two thousand uh two, twenty twenty, oh and we god, would be Ricky. talking about movies from the nineties for the next ten years. So yeah, it
1: genuinely had not occurred to us.
0: Yeah, but yeah. What is the most nineties thing about this movie?
2: Oh my god. I mean the I feel like the first like 20 minutes, yeah. like the mall scene yeah. and then like the weird, like kind of Bronze, like the bronze equivalent cafe, restaurant, weird. Cafe Blase. (laughs) Cafe (laughs) Blase, yes, yeah. It's like very 90s, but also very like California 90s, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I, I think the way that the mall looks at the beginning of the movie is very 90s. If you think about like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, all of the mall stuff in that movie looks kind of grimy and grungy because like malls hadn't become what they, they were still like local vendors, I feel like. And the mall in this is clearly gonna be like all of these huge corporate, Mm -hmm. these huge corporations so it looks extremely slick and polished and all of their outfits look very pristine and that to me feels like a very 90s depiction of of mall culture maybe mall rats which is maybe the
1: depiction of mall culture I don't know I mean it's funny because I always think of uh, Bill and Ted as being like the best mall movie because there's that whole chase sequence through the mall which is like fantastic Um, I always talk about clothes and I mean I did love the clothes in this like especially Buffy's clothes are really great Um, her commitment to like big days motifs is <laughs> so good and also Hillary Swank who you didn't mention in the she's not a cameo she's like one of the main characters that's the
0: thing there's a diff- there's the cameos and then there's also just like people in the movie that you're like what this person <laughs> went on to
1: like a much better career than this movie implied Hillary Swank is playing like the bad mean girl in this movie which is really funny but yeah she has these gigantic daisy earrings which are fantastic I mean Buffy's like purple lycra underneath her like yellow cheerleading outfit that's so great and even like the uh, mm-hmm. Luke Perry outfits at the end where he's wearing like a banded collar shirt a vest maybe another shirt and then like a gigantic leather jacket on top of it so fantastic and that th- this is the reveal of hot luke parry possible
0: to make him look bigger than he is. <laughs> It's gotten up
1: he's to 115 he's running around most of the movie
2: he looks like peter pan or something like like just in these drapey
1: pirates it's very weird boy he'll never grow old <laughs>
0: Uh, we have one more question that we ask because I, I know we have to wrap it up. Yeah, but we'll that done. is, um, what do you feel like we've grown out of that this, movie, that this movie does? Usually people's answer for that can be anything, can be stylistic, but oftentimes people are like, because it's the 90s, it was racist. That's usually, or it was sexist or something. But
1: you can. Say or it, I mean, I'll I'll go first because this is something we haven't talked about but meant to talk about, which is like this. It's Joss Whedon. You know, it came out. Joss Whedon was very abusive to people throughout his entire career. Like basically, the female lead of everything he's ever done, from Sarah Michelle Gellar to Eliza Dushku to Gal Gadot, have all like said he's abusive and terrible and think weird. Don't
0: Christy Swanson has. No, Christy Swanson but, has
1: not. But no. update on Christy Swanson. She's, like, currently
0: campaigning for Matt Geitz somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a, a big Trumper, huge right? Trump, yeah.
0: Huge Trump supporter.
1: Yeah, but um, there's this edge of, like, not sexual violence, but kind of, like, sexual nastiness in this movie where you can say that it's... It's in, it's in trying to be empowering in some way because it's like Buffy is fighting against it. But like, how many people say bitch in this movie? Like, it's kind of off-putting to have the vampire keep going like, "You little bitch."
0: Well, that's <laughs> also such a '90s thing it, that like calling a oh, the the insult bitch in the '90s was like the same thing as like the nut punch. It was like that was like all movies had for some reason. Like, if a woman had to be insulted, a character would use would use that word against them.
1: It, it never anything else. It was supposed to be kind of like. Ironic-ish, but like not, uh, but yeah, I was definitely put off how many times I heard bitch in this movie and I could definitely see Joss Whedon being like, oh, and then he's going to say like, you bitch. And it's like, that's great. Rutger Har does it with a little bit of
2: style. (laughs) So one thing, like, so I mentioned the other thing earlier about like the way that like female leads are depicted, but, um, I kind of wish we had more movies like this. Like in the 80s and 90s, there were just so many genre movies that weren't really based on anything. They weren't based on existing IP and they weren't tied into a wider mythos. And this movie doesn't take like an hour to be like, here's where vampires come from. And these are all their weaknesses. Yeah. And here's the Wikipedia on how vampires work. And like, I just miss that. I miss when like we could just have like a fun fantasy action movie that wasn't like a, you know, multi billion dollar franchise or that wasn't like based on like a series of YA books or like just like yeah just give this this 22 year old dipshit a chance (laughs) oops he turned out to be a terrible person but at least we got a kind of fun Christy
1: Swanson movie out yeah, this, of it. Yeah, when Evan. Dolly Parton's production company would just yeah. buy a script from one yeah. of the writers of Roseanne and be like, right. yeah, whatever, I don't care. Yeah,
0: I had a feeling while I was watching it too that this feels very much like a Christopher Pike book in some way. Like, I don't know if anybody read those movies growing up or remember the, the covers of them, but like, there is something very specific to the colors of this movie and the style and the way that it's PG-13 and flirting with maybe an R rating at some points. That feels very much like a, a Christopher Pike Pike and Luke Perry's character is named Pike. So I thought maybe that was
1: <laughs> it's like a little. Uh, Sarbrosa, reference. Yeah. But I um, agree
0: with you. It's, it's, I, it's the thing that we probably have grown out of, unfortunately, is that it would be tied up to like trying to set up five different movies. They would have to be like, but it the- did set up a show.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, right. I think we got to say goodbye okay, at this point. Yeah. Thank you so much, Merrick for coming. Um, Thanks. amazing. Uh, yeah, our podcast is 30 years later. Check it out. We, Talk about movies like this, good movies, bad also, movies. Also,
0: thank you to
1: Christina. Oh my, thank booked, you so much to Christina.
0: Books all these incredible movies at Nighthawk and booked this 35 millimeter print of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which very quickly I will say, I watched a DVD of it the other night and it was so much more fun watching a print of this movie. Like certain movies you would be
1: surprised need to be seen. Well, it's films. been cleaned up in Shockingly such a way. Buffy
0: the Vampire Slayer is one of them.
1: Like the way they cleaned it up for the transfer or whatever, you can see the wires in like half the scenes for the vampires. But it's much better in this where it's all dark. Uh, So thanks so much, everybody. Yeah, thank you.